Following in the footsteps of Christ, the Catholic Church has often relied on the art and science of communication to convey its message to the generations. Heresy was fought not in the streets, but in the heart, through sacred liturgy and art. And while it may be hard to choose one art form from all the others, the Church does have a favorite. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states, the musical tradition of the Universal Church is a treasure of inestimable value, greater even than that of any other art. The musical tradition was especially formed through the long and deep tradition of chant. Once holding a place of primacy in the liturgy, chant fell into disuse in recent decades, but it's making its way back. After all, truth holds constant in all times and all ages, but its power is especially known amidst a world of chaos. Today we speak with someone who knows firsthand the power of sacred music, most especially chant. Christopher Hotkinson is instructor of music and fine arts as well as director of music at Wyoming Catholic College. Christopher, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Linda. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Christopher, you've done it all, including serving as director of Scola Gregoriana of Cambridge in the UK. Give us a fast snapshot of your path from Cambridge to Wyoming. Well, yes, it might not be obvious how I, how I came to be here. Um, I was very privileged to get um, a fairly unique um, education in, um, in glory and chant and sacred music during my time at Cambridge. Um, and, and so I found myself a few years ago um, with the beginnings of a career as a performing musician, but also with a very strong interest in academic teaching and research. And I was looking for some way in which I could combine the two. And there are very few institutional contexts in Europe where that's actually possible. Um, certainly very few where I could do that while serving the Catholic Church and, and not being in some, some other context. So it was a, a real um, delight for me when I had this opportunity to come to Wyoming and to be able to um, teach in a Catholic college um, and to divide my time between performance and, and teaching and research. So yes. What are the similarities and differences between Cambridge and Wyoming students? Well, <laughs> the differences I think are um, are so, so so numerous. It's 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 hard to hard hard, hard to begin. Um, I think what I see in common is is is, is a real intellectual curiosity. Um, in in both cases, I've been privileged to work with some some people who are um, really interesting people to teach um, and who have a, a thirst for knowledge. Um, here in Wyoming, the the colleges um, the colleges program is quite unlike what would be the case at a university like Cambridge. My students in Cambridge were highly specialized, um, devoting their entire time to studying music. Whereas here in, at Wyoming Catholic College, the students are all taking a generalist curriculum. And so the rest of their day is full of readings in philosophy, in theology, in the great books. And, and so they, um, they're in a very different situation. Um, in a way, it's a greater challenge, of course, to teach them very specific um, technical things about, about my subject. But on the other hand, they come to it much better prepared to see the relevance of all these ideas to the rest of their lives and to our wider culture. So um, I'm not sure that there's a, that there's a right approach. Um, I, think, I think whatever we do, we, 
um, we're not ready for some other challenge. But but actually, um, I think it it works very well for them and it prepares them um, for really whatever else is going to come in their lives to to approach that um, with a um, with a well formed faith um, and that's um, that's that's ready to bring that faith and and, and share it with our culture. The cycle of Catholic liturgy runs parallel to that of Gregorian chant. At the same time, a psychological truism is that long-term retention is improved when texts are set to music and song. The alphabet song is a simple example. Do you find that chant helps students engage more deeply in the sacred texts? Well, if, if you'd forgive me, I must say I find the, the question is perhaps not quite how I would put it. I, I wouldn't think of Gregorian chant as being a, a parallel cycle to the, um, the cycle of the liturgy. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a music historian, and so, so I want to go back to the first millennium to think about these ideas. Um, if we go back to about the, the seventh, eighth, ninth centuries, um, this is the period in which the Roman liturgy becomes um, the standard liturgy across a great part of Western Europe. And so, this is not through any effort on the part of Rome, it's, it's rather the, the local churches want to become more Roman and they want to adopt all these ideas and this, this practice. And when one sees the, the documents that survive that speak of this, they speak about, um, about learning and spreading the, the Cantus Romanus, the Roman chant. It's quite clear the situation they faced was that for them to learn to celebrate the Roman liturgy was the same thing as learning to sing the Roman chant. The two are inseparable concepts. And so, so from my perspective, the presence of a Roman chant is one of the defining marks of the presence of a Roman liturgy. Any liturgy that purports to be Roman and has not got a chant in it is, is privated. It's, it's only partially itself. We can't see the whole thing. So, so I think that I would say the very, the very first thing to say is that um, the experience of a chant enables us to experience the Roman liturgy. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so, so maybe I'm not the right person to ask um, exactly what effect it has on our students. Um, I think the situation in which we, we make music nowadays in, in, in the church, um, as you know, it's, it's a very contested arena. There are many approaches to the whole question of, of how this should be done. And when I think of a specific value of Gregorian chant, I think that its value is that it works upon our souls in a very gentle way, in a very gradual way. We're right to think here of the, of the annual cycle. This is a kind of music that is there to help us to mature. Um, and that inevitably happens very slowly. Um, we don't get an immediate sugar high from this music that would, um, that would make us wildly excited and, and rush out and, and change everything we're doing. It's, it's much more subtle than that. Um, and so, while I myself see certain students who, whose lives are transformed by it, who, who um, especially these are, are singers, who, who realize just how wonderful this music is to sing every day, um, I, I see that effect. But I think what I don't see is the long lasting effect on many of our students as their faith is gradually deepened and as their, as their lives are slowly formed by by contemplation on the word of God, which is, I think, one of the great things the chant offers to us, um, so that their, their souls are, are moved 
um, to to love the presence of God are moved to 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 adoration, um, and 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 their minds are simultaneously um, formed by God's words, um, which of course is going to prepare them for for everything in their lives. Um, they're going to um, come 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 to all, all the challenges they'll face, um, imbued thoroughly with the with the culture of the church. Um, which 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 means that it's possible to to approach everything with a with a, a, the Catholic sense, um, which is which is which is so invaluable. You also teach art history. Our audience spans a spectrum of knowledge on such things, from simple to advanced. So, casting a net across the widest Catholic experience help us understand the relationship of the liturgical calendar, artistic representation and chant? And finally, how does it work together to the benefit of the soul? The church's, the church's year presents to us the, the mysteries of a faith um, as an annual cycle, which we, we return to each year to contemplate anew. Of course, the, the faith is, is, is unified, it's a whole, but, but we being human need to consider each of its aspects in turn, and the church guides us through that each year. And that's why, of course, the, the cycle of Gregorian chant gives us um, a regular annual cycle of music um, to, to, to accompany that, to guide us through that. Now, sacred art, I think, works in a, a slightly different way. And yet, if you visit a church that has a, a great artistic scheme, um, the mind goes, for instance, to the, to the Basilica of the Cathedral of, of Monreale, in Sicily. Um, these, these great churches present an artistic scheme which guides us through the whole of salvation history. And, and so we see now all at one time, um, all those same mysteries of the faith spread out before our eyes as a, as a great panorama. So, so the means by which we approach the art, by which we experience it are, are substantially different so I think what sacred art does that is closely in parallel to the cycle of glory and chant is that it presents us with a series of images for contemplation. Think, for instance, let me refer to one, one of the most um, one of the most paradigmatic um, images in the Western artistic tradition would be a painting of the Annunciation. I don't need to refer to any particular painting of Annunciation because, in fact, there are so many that are like this, but I'm imagining perhaps one of the great masters of the Renaissance or of Baroque, perhaps. Um, and the, the scene that we might, might see shows us with the, the angel Gabriel um, approaching Mary and, and saying, saying the first word he says, Ave, hail. And we see Mary as if she's just been disturbed at her prayers. In fact, very often we can see where just a moment ago she was kneeling and we can see the open prayer book on the desk in front of her. And so we see that, that Mary, when she was just about to, to give her fiat, to say yes to the Lord, was at that moment in a state of deep prayer, of contemplation of God's word. And we, when we when we see great sacred art and when we hear great sacred music, and I'd include the chant in that, we ourselves are invited also to be in a state of contemplation, um, a state of 
open receptivity to the word of God. And it's precisely by, by placing ourselves before God in that way, in prayerful contemplation, that we become ready to accept God's will for us. So in this way, the, the great music and the great art of Western tradition um, are exactly what we need in our own spiritual lives to, to grow and, and mature and to answer God's call. If you could give one piece of advice to a part-time music director in an ordinary form parish, what would it be? Well, it's a very hard question because I know that everyone has different challenges, different circumstances. And so while in a way it's easy to speak of the ideal, it's very hard to say what um, what it is that any individual person needs to do first, what, what they need to worry about right now. Um, so I think I think what I would what I would say is possibly the most valuable thing is to say that it's easy as a parish music director to become um, distracted by all the choices we have to make. Um, all the time we're thinking about our musical resources, about the team of musicians that we are organizing, about the decisions that have got to be made about the mass this Sunday and next Sunday and so on. Um, someone who looks at this role from the outside might assume that the most important job of a music director is to choose four hymns for Sunday mass. Um, and and my, my advice would say that that's the, the wrong approach, um, that our role is not a role that involves making choices. Our role is to faithfully transmit um, the the mind of a church in this matter and to sing the church's music. And so for that reason, there's one book that every single church musician in whatever situation um, should know, of course, I'm speaking to to people um, seeing music for the Latin rite. And that's the book called The Roman Gradual. I've got my, my copy of it here, um, a, um, a, a single small book um, called in Latin Graduale Romanum. And this, this book is the book that belongs to the musician in the church. So the missal is a book that is used by the priest that, that tells him what, what his part is in the liturgy. The lectionary is a book that's proper to the deacons and to the readers. And in the same way, the gradual is a book that is proper to the singers. It tells them what the music of the, of the mass is. Now, if you read the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which um, gives a series of instructions on the way that liturgy is to be celebrated in the ordinary form, it gives a number of options for the music at various points. And most often, it, that series of options begins, the very first option is, is the graduale Romanum, the Roman gradual. And, and that option is placed first in the list because in the mind of the church, it is the, it's the first option, the default option, the, the primary preferable choice of, of all the other options. Um, and so I would encourage all parish musicians to get to know this book, get to know it intimately, to use it, if you can, use it directly, seeing exactly what is contained inside it. But of course, in some circumstances, you or your singers or your congregation won't be ready for that. And so then let it be your guide more indirectly, sing those same words to another setting of music that's more accessible to you, or sing those words in English translation 
But nevertheless, that book is, is the fundamental guide. And when you get to know it well, it may surprise you. So for instance, if you were to read through every chant provided for the offertory in the mass, you'd be surprised by how very few of them speak about what we might think the offertory is about in a direct sense. They usually don't mention offering bread and wine, for instance. But what they, what they do do is offer a, a treasury of prayer, in many ways, a series of reflections that are much deeper. Um, I find myself, after many years of singing this annual cycle of chants, gaining new insights every week, every month into particular chants in terms of, of their relevance um, to, the, to the occasion, the way in which that text speaks to what's happening on this day. And it's a continual surprise to me. So, so when, when you first encounter this book, you will find it mysterious. And that will make it difficult and off-putting. But in fact, the very fact that it's mysterious is the same reason why it's worth a huge amount of your time. Because like the great mysteries of the faith, you cannot comprehend the faith all at once in all its depth and all its all its all its mysteries. You um, you can only slowly unwrap this mystery and slowly penetrate the the depths of it, and and that's what this book offers. It's a book which uh, is a sure guide to use today, but whose treasures are going to last a lifetime for you. I'll make sure that we put a link below the video. Thanks. So how can priests support and encourage those in sacred music? So to those priests who are listening, I would say that you are tremendously important. Um, I'm aware that many of the clergy feel powerless to change anything. But um, let me offer you a layman's perspective. From the point of view of a laity, without the active cooperation and support of a priest, it's impossible to do anything at all. Um, we rely absolutely upon the contributions the clergy make, whether, whether through their own direct initiative or through encouraging and enabling others to, to do things. So as a priest, it's very likely that you don't have extensive technical knowledge in sacred music unless you were blessed to have um, a formation like that before you went to seminary. It's unlikely you received a specialist education later on. So I would offer a, a few pieces of advice of what I've, what I've learned through many years in this field. I'd say, first of all, that you need to be ready to put a great deal of resources to support the worthy celebration of the sacred liturgy. And so you need to be ready to, um, to pay for um, talented um, singers and musicians to lead music in your parish. Now, the first objection, of course, will be, well, I haven't got any money to do this. And I would say that when I look at parish budgets, I see a lot of money spent on things which are less important. And so this is a matter of priorities. I see, for instance, that the cost of um, installing and maintaining a sound system is often you know, many tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, the same with lighting systems and so on. Well, if you, um, if, if you care so much about your church as to put these things in, you can um, equally well afford to pay for um, talented people to lead your music. And in fact, I would encourage you not to spend money on your lighting 
or on your sound system before you've spent good money on your music. It is of the first priority. It's as the church teaches us, the, the, the highest of the, of the arts in the liturgy, the most important. And clearly the actual celebration of liturgy is more important than those things that, that surround it. And so, so music has to be very high on our list of priorities. And then I would say next, when you do, um, when you do engage someone, whether they're paid or not, to, um, to lead the music, I would reflect deeply on what skills you expect them to have. It's very often the case that parishes will employ um, an instrumentalist, someone who plays the piano or the organ, um, first of all, and assume that that same person is also able to lead singing or to sing themselves. I would say, um, by contrast, that the ability to play an instrument is low on the list of priorities. The first priority is you need to engage someone to lead your music who knows the Roman gradual, who knows it as well as possible, who can sing its chants, and who can train other people to do so. The, the human voice is the primary instrument in our worship. It's, it's primary, of course, because, because by being music joined to words, it is a kind of rational praise of God. Um, it's exactly that, um, that logica letraire, as, as St. Paul says, that rational worship, which Christ himself um, willed for the church. So the, the human voice comes first, and, and we have, I would say, in America and in the, in the world more generally, we have too few musicians who are trained to sing the church's own music and to teach others to sing it. And so any priest in, in any parish can make their contribution to building up this culture by insisting that whoever leads their music has that skill before any other skill. And if more parishes would insist upon that, then the culture will, will change such that, such that anyone who's providing education that prepares people to lead music in a Catholic church will see teaching these skills as being of primary importance. And, and it's, it's only when we've managed to transform culture, both in terms of, of the teaching and then in terms of the expectation of, of priests in their parishes, that we're going to be able to build up a, a culture um, in which authentic Catholic sacred music is once again at the center of the experience of the majority of, of Catholics um, in their own parishes where they worship. Changing the culture, we can do it. <laughs> well, I hope we can. Um, it's, um, it's certainly not a, not a quick and easy task. It's, it's always easier to tear down whatever you've got and start anew. Um, but, uh, but in fact, no, we need to, we need to do it um, brick by brick, as some people say. Um, so, so yes, and I think, I think my perspective would be to say, well, even if we can't change the culture, um, to make our contribution to it is the stuff of which sanctity is made. And so it's worthwhile in itself. Agreed. Christopher, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and sharing your amazing insights. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me too. One of the most misquoted expressions is that of St. Augustine. While many say to sing is to pray twice, the actual quote is to sing well is to pray twice. Music warriors like Christopher know this to be true. They also know that imparting the knowledge of good music, sacred music, is one way heaven touches the heart. Thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our show. I'm Linda Hoffman. See you on our next exciting episode of Fear Not.
This has been a Chantworks production. Please visit us online at chantworks.com.